Hey everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen and I am your host and I am really excited to share with you our conversation today. Uh, Ryan Purcell and Audrey Ronfeld uh, from the Diocese of Wichita, stewardship and evangelization folks. Uh, we had a conversation about the integration of stewardship and evangelization. You're gonna love this. In fact, as you listen, you're gonna hear a vision of stewardship and evangelization and discipleship and a perfectly integrated. We kind of talk shop for a while and share some some stories, some personal, uh, some kind of baby step examples of how individuals and parishes can get started in reclaiming and renewing cultures where evangelization and discipleship and stewardship are at the heart. Take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Got Ryan, Audrey, welcome. Thank you for being here. We're recording in person, so like behind the scenes here for the, uh, for the Equip cast. It's a rare joy to be able to record face-to-face in person. Ryan and Audrey, you guys made a long trek up here to Omaha uh, so we could hang out and kind of talk shop. Uh, Let me give you an opportunity to introduce yourselves, everybody. Audrey, why don't you start? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Audrey Ronfeldt. I I work in the diocese, Catholic Diocese of Wichita. I'm originally from New Jersey and uh, Southern New Jersey. Ah, Went to Atlanta. I can hear it a little bit. Went to Atlanta, Georgia, so I got a Southern accent too. And then went to Southern Minnesota before I ended up in Southern Kansas. So I like to say I'm a true Southerner. Okay. And Audrey, tell everybody, what's your day job? Uh, My day job is I am the coordinator for the Office of Evangelization, Discipleship, and Stewardship. And that's a big mouthful. Yeah, it's an extra long business card just to accommodate. We call it EDS for short. Oh, Evangelization, Discipleship, and Stewardship. That's very nice. So Ryan Purcell, and and, uh, I'm the Director of Leadership and Missionary Discipleship for the Diocese of Wichita. And, you know, recently I was in the Diocese of Joliet, so I'm brand new here for five months in in Wichita. But prior to that, I was spent time in focus. So I've kind of bounced all around the country and and serving in, in different missionary modes. So Nice. Okay, so today we want to talk... Just about the right the the intersection between evangelization and stewardship. Probably have to spend a little bit of time uh, defining our our terms or kind of clarifying. Um, but maybe to, to set the table a little bit as we get started, you know, in, on the EquipCast we talk a lot about helping parishes, uh, individual missionary disciples, particular ministries really kind of rediscover their missionary character. And I think for parishes in particular, this this question about gosh, how do how does stewardship and evangelization like how do they how do they work together to further the, the mission of the parish? I just want to get you guys started by by talking a little bit about that and feel free to define some terms, but how do how do evangelization and stewardship work together? Cuz you guys work together and that seems to work really well. So how, how do evangelization and stewardship work together? So, I mean, to just kind of lay it out there, stewardship in our diocese is, de- is defined as a grateful response of a Christian disciple who recognizes and receives God's gifts and shares those gifts in love of God and neighbor. Okay. So that's, that's a, a lot. That's a lot. So it's a Christian disciple. Check. We have gifts that we've been given by a loving father that we are not to keep for ourselves, but he has told us to go out and love our neighbor. Yeah. So, okay. That's our assignment. 
right? Love yeah. neighbor, love God, love neighbor. Yeah. Um, so, but we've we have figured that it's been a challenge. You know, mm -hmm. 1985 is when we went to this stewardship way of life of living as a steward, and mm -hmm. and all that entails the way that we live it in our diocese. But the past, I would say, eight years, mm -hmm. uh, we've noticed that with the generation the, that started, like it wasn't passed down. So for us, mm. before everybody started talking about relationship with our Lord, mm -hmm. we were seeing it that the faith wasn't being passed on in a deeper way than it needed to be in order to be a disciple. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... You know, you have the baby boomers, those were duty driven, you know, mm -hmm. and if father asked, do it, you know, no questions asked. You went to mass because father told you to go to mass. But as the years progressed, we've seen that, you know, just like we're, everybody's talking about now, you know, where'd everybody go? Yeah. Right. And so we started <laughs> yes. seeing that and we didn't have the words that we have today to use that, mm -hmm. but we knew that there were people that were missing and there was a demographic that missed the idea of what is the fullest definition of stewardship. So mm -hmm. it's, you have to be a disciple first. Yeah. Honestly, Audrey, it sounds like you're talking about that there was a conversation within the diocese pastor about, okay, what's what's happening? We've been thinking and talking and, and teaching towards stewardship, but something's been missing. And we really feel like it now we can name it. Yeah. You know, it's really the relationship with our Lord. But, you know, back then, you, you know, you might have heard things like stewardship isn't working anymore. Well, it is and it better, right. you know, because it's that grateful response of a Christian disciple. So, how could it not work? That's why we're here to become disciples and then to love God, love others. But yeah, so it wasn't that stewardship wasn't working. It's stewardship without discipleship wasn't working. So it got distilled down to time, town, and treasure or church chores. Yeah. Oof. And that's and that's not, I I've mean, never church, heard that. church chores. Church chores, that's great. <laughs> well, church chores, you know, you would hear people say, well, I've got to get more people involved in our parish. Well, what do, why do you want them involved? What do you yeah. want them to do? Sweep the floor? water the plants? You know, what are we really there for? What's really mm -hmm. parish? So we started really thinking about what's parish? What's parish for? Not the four yeah. walls of the parish. So, I mean, it takes a long time. It takes a long yeah. time to turn to turn a ship, mm -hmm. you know, a big ship. Talk a little bit about how did that process go, that conversation? Because I think you're alluding to something, and, and you have a couple of times, that the I mean, the whole country is now kind of like, hey, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> just suddenly, you know, I mean, I've shared this before, having been a missionary for almost 20 years, when I was first telling friends and family about being a missionary, people were like, are you sure? Bible study? Does the bishop know? Is this okay? It was kind of met with suspicion. And now it's cool to be a missionary disciple. Well, the interesting thing for me, I think, you know, I'm not from our diocese. So not being from the diocese, I saw what this great gift is and how do we not lose that gift and how do we mm -hmm. invite others in? So I was born and raised Catholic, went away from the church for 25 years, spent time in the desert living a very not faith-filled life. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> Another episode, maybe. <laughs> Another episode, maybe. Yes. But then come back to the church through the Methodist church mm -hmm. in Georgia, a big mega church in Georgia, and start working on in the missions office and cool. sending out short-term mission teams and having small groups that you're a part of, that these people really love you. 
Yeah. And oh, we can open up the Bible and oh my gosh, I can write in it. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> I can make notes in my Bible. You're kidding me. Yeah. So those were things that I was all about. They loved me, right? They loved me. Yeah. They prayed with and for me, and we pray, prayed with and for each other. You know, I share that because, and I'll just go to Minnesota where I worked for a Lutheran church and did mm-hmm. something very similar. But I think what God does is he utilizes and equips us for where he's calling us to be. So had I not have had those experiences, yeah, I may really have appreciated the stewardship way of life, Mm -hmm. but would I have seen what really an amazing gift this is? Right. Well, and been able to name and not just name, but help fill the gap of what was missing. Well, and, and so what we have though, there is some complacency. People have grown up with stewardship way of life. So how do you Mm -hmm. re-energize that? You know, and that's through that inviting people in peace to kind of discover, rediscover what is that fuller sense of stewardship, meaning not volunteers, but really a steward. How are you a steward? And that flows from being a disciple. Yeah. And maybe we should, it occurs to me that we haven't, you know, I don't know how many of our listeners, I imagine a fair number are familiar. The work that the Diocese of Wichita has done to create a culture of stewardship has been an inspiration and a guiding light, really, I mean, all across the country. It's been fruit just for individual lives, parish communities, obviously the diocese as a whole. Can you talk a little bit about the fruit that you saw? Because just for those who don't know it, I mean, it's really such a beautiful story. We've talked about how there's this critical kind of turning moment where it's like, gosh, is this, are we out of gas here? Is this done? Or is there more? And I think you've decided there's more, but tell people just a little bit of the backstory. Well, 1985 was after a synod, Bishop Gerber had done a lot of listening sessions. And so it was determined that Monsignor Magritte had tested this at St. Francis of Assisi Parish Mm -hmm. uh, in 1968. And that that was, when I say tested this, it was this whole model of parishes would sponsor their child at a parish school Mm -hmm. as long as they were active stewards in their parish. Right. And that meant, I mean, you know, you talk about a tithe, but we don't want just the tithe. We want your whole self. We mm-hmm. want, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. So being part of this community, we want you to grow, you know, in your faith. Yeah. But back then there were, I think we had at that point back then, like 25 perpetual adoration chapels. Wow. You know, so like if you go back to look, it's that, that whole sense of adoration. I didn't grow up with that in New Jersey. I had no idea what that was. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go to Georgia, I mean, Georgia, what? No, Methodist Church, they don't know what that is, you know? (laughs) And they come back to the Catholic Church and it was like uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of those things that we're afraid to to share that we don't understand and that I think prevents us from growing. So we have to recognize that we don't know and to go out and search for it. Right. And there was this whole rich culture where if a family embraced what it meant to be a steward in terms of their faith, their uh, financial giving, just entering into the community with a full and open heart, their children would have the benefit then, okay, the community would bless them back in turn with Catholic education without tuition. Well, I'm very careful about without tuition. Someone's paying the tuition. Yes. It just doesn't happen to be the parents. It doesn't have to be the parents, right. So, I mean, that's that's like one of those little, you know, I will get calls all the time. Can you tell me about this free tuition? I'm like, well, it's not free tuition, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just really careful with that. And so over the years, I mean, that's a long legacy. And for me, 
it's lifelong because yeah. I, I actually grew up in the diocese of Wichita, but in 1985 was the year I was born. So this was like this turning point from Bishop Gerber and the Synod, but to, to bring this into the culture of the diocese, um, it's something that I just, I grew up with. Yeah. And we're like a real beneficiary of. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I always like to say I'm, I'm a product of the stewardship way of life. Uh-huh. And, but some of the challenges, we take it for granted. Yeah. You know, so yeah. like there is that demographic that didn't pass on that rich understanding. I'm not saying that mm-hmm. Monsignor McGreed absolutely knew, and he spoke of a relationship with our Lord. Mm-hmm. Bishop Gerber, Gerber spoke of a relationship with our Lord, right. but somehow along the years that dissipated, mm-hmm. you know, and it became time, town, and treasure. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother, well, and that's, that's a whole another other podcast. Episode, but I mean, the whole church <laughs> is like rediscovering. We're like, oh, wait a minute. There's a, there's a, 28th chapter to Matthew's gospel where Jesus actually sends us out and we're, we're all kind of rediscovering uh, this. So talk about like, there's this pivot point as, you know, the the concept and the richness of what stewardship was supposed to be kind of had begun to shrink or these key elements, particularly discipleship and evangelization had disappeared. Now what? Ryan, I think in, in some ways that's where you kind of enter the picture and not particularly, but there's been an effort recently to say, okay, how do we bring evangelization into this? Tell us a little bit about that. One thing before Ryan goes there, I think it's important to know when Father John Urock came to the office, in the office prior, mm-hmm. you know, we had been kind of wrestling with this and talking about this word discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. He didn't realize it until later. And so he always shares that the the new is hidden in the old, and it like mm-hmm. he it dawned on him the the whole Christian discipleship piece. That yeah. was really when the big pivot happened. That's like no, we're really going to wrestle with this word. And yeah. then there was talk of evangelization and talk of finding someone like Ryan to come and work with us. Yeah, yeah. And I, as as I've left Wichita, go back just a little bit. You know, it was my time in high school where I experienced just and, and received. An encounter with the Lord, two ways primarily. One was I I was in the middle of my confirmation preparation, um, and I had a teacher at Bishop Carroll Catholic High School who he he just proclaimed the gospel in in a clear and articulate way Mm. that 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 resonated with me. I I, I wouldn't have described it at that point, but I just remember through his witness and just he just lit my heart on fire. Do you want to give him a shout out? Yeah, it's Tony Brandt. Yeah. Uh, so he he's in Casting Nets Ministries. Uh, and actually, he, they've got a great uh, book that I'd highly recommend. Chris yes. Stewart, Tony Brandt, they have a book called um, uh, Casting Nets. Yes. So, Tony's an old friend from college. We've known each other for many years. So Tony, Mr. Brandt, as I called him back then, like lit my heart on fire for yeah. a desire and a relationship with the Lord such that like I hit those adoration chapels and um, I desired a deeper relationship with him, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so where I had come to the point of conversion and wanted to begin living for the Lord, it set me on a track of seeking out closer friendships at specifically at the high school. But then also as I, as I went into college, I was at Wichita State University and desired to give my life to the Lord in a particular way. And I, I felt at the time I was going into business administration, right? And, and so mm-hmm. it was kind of a dissatisfaction with the life that that would bring. But I felt mm-hmm. the Lord call me to something more, which long story short, Led me into a seminary for a couple of years in Wichita. And uh, as I discerned at a seminary, I uh, still wanted to live for the Lord. And, and that's when a friend of mine had, uh, who I had been in his Bible study in my time in college, uh, had invited me to apply to be a focused missionary. And, and so like this encounter um, and this response 
to an evangelist, mm-hmm. Tony Brandt, kicked off in me just a desire to follow the Lord. And wherever he goes, I, I remember praying that that my will be your will, Lord, wh- whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And and my life has been a succession of step after step after step where I've I've launched in a into folk, being a focused missionary and, and working in evangelization at the parish and diocesan level. And now coming back to the diocese that, you know, really in a, in a I say I'm a product of stewardship, like mm-hmm. I've, I've been given such a gift and, and I'm just excited to be able to have the opportunity to share back um, what the Lord has given me to the diocese that I was born and raised. In. I mean, I'm watching kind of the provenance here, right? There's this rich culture and history of stewardship. You both have had these experiences where um, the Lord has providentially prepared you through these communities where you're the missionary identity, uh, evangelization, growing and making disciples became this key part of your kind of f- formation and preparation. And now you're here. What's the what's the plan? What's the desire, right, for infusing evangelization, right, infusing this back into parish culture, the culture of stewardship? In many ways, as a parish, as a church, we've got to rediscover our missionary identity. Um, I mean, we were talking just last night about, you know, that we're outposts of the Great Commission. We're outposts of of this great, great battle. And well, we're supposed to be. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and and we've got to be on mission. And, yeah. and a lot of ways we seem to be hunkered down or uncertain or unsure, but mm-hmm. uh, to be able to, to be equipped to go out and to share that good news and to be the ambassadors of the kingdom uh, of our father. Break that down for people. Like, what does that look like? Because I think you all are in a similar space. You know, I think part of the reason we're, we're hanging out is not just because we're fun people, but we have that similar too. similar roles, right? And responsibilities. What does it look like for a parish and an individual to rediscover their missionary identity? I, I think that's the, the thing. I mean, just to have the want and really to mm. understand where the culture is right now. Yeah. Like, do you do you love the Lord? Do you love your Catholic faith? Are you really a Catholic Christian? Mm-hmm. And if you are, like, don't you want others to be? I'm sure every one of us knows families. I've There's some in my family that are not practicing. So mm-hmm. how could that happen, right? Yeah. In the work that I've done, how did that happen? And it's really the culture. So if you want to fight that culture, what is that going to take? Mm-hmm. You have to recognize that there's a problem first. Yeah. Where did where did people get started? Because I think I, I think there are some right words like okay, they, some some for maybe no fault of their own don't recognize how the culture has shifted, and then some who have, but because of a clear well, not a clear right a. I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to do. I, I can see it. It all seems to be melting away. And there's less and less people that I knew and loved, you know, coming back. What do they, what do, they do concretely? Right? Because I think sometimes we pretend to not recognize what's happening because we don't know how to respond. Um, so I'm hoping, right, Equipcast, some, what are some practical ways that parishes can respond to this phenomenon, right? Just the, the increasing disaffiliation uh, that we're seeing amongst people who used to call themselves Catholics. Well, I think in a big way, uh, where do we start? It's we start in prayer. The those who evangelize have to be evangelized themselves. Our our relationship with the Lord is what we share from. And so, um, you know, you, you just look at the average parishioner, people in the parish. You know, how many contact points they have with so many people mm-hmm. um, in, in within the parish boundaries. You know, I like to say that we don't got to go to the fringes of society. Uh, any more than we, you know, go to our friends, family, and our workplace. If, if we as a mm-hmm. parish just just look to 
evangelize, to share the good news, to, to live a transformed life and to witness in, in critical ways, you know, just with, within my friends, my family, my workplace, we reach the fringes of society like that. Well, and I, th I would right. also say that, you know, Ryan alluded to prayer. I mean, he said prayer, and I think prayer becomes really important, but, you know, we have to each individually ask ourselves, what, are, what do we need? Like, mm -hmm. what do I need? Lord, what do I need? Mm. Like, do we just pray a rosary? You know, we right. are praying, asking for all these things. I'm praying for this person, this person, this person, but are we listening to him and taking that time, like an Alexio, to, yeah. to hear how he's speaking to us? I think a lot of times we'll just keep talking. Yeah. And we, we forget that we have to listen. So I think we, our relationship with our Lord has to has to be strong before we can go and share that with someone else. Yeah. Like, I'm, ha have we encountered him? Right. And do we experience our faith as good news? Yeah. yeah. And I and I said, you know, about adoration, now have an adoration hour. And I and I treasure that time, right? Yeah. Because that's for me. That's what I do for me. Yeah. I you know, as you speak, I'm drawn back. One of my favorite biblical stories is the, you know, the account of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, it's right after the resurrection. And I think it's particularly meaningful for our time now, because you see, like, first off, they're disciples. They believe in Jesus. And as the story unfolds, you know, the, if you don't, for those who don't remember, uh, Luke, or it's in the gospel of Luke, Jesus sneaks up on him and they begin to recount. He's like, so what, what are you talking about? As they recount, like, they actually have not only do they know Jesus and know his teachings, and of course, they're aware and discouraged by the crucifixion, but they've actually heard about the resurrection. And not just from crazy Mary Magdalene, but they even recount her like, well, and then two others, a reference to Peter and John. And yet, even though they've heard, they're still discouraged. And they're leaving. And walking away. They're walking yeah, away. Yeah, and they're, they're, yeah. Wa they're, they're walking away. And it isn't until they have the encounter with the Lord, which again, in the Eucharist, in a personal Bible study from Jesus. I mean, they're transformed into evangelists. It's a really beautiful image, I think, of where we're at right now in the church, which is why I think so many uh, of our, you know, really kind of prophetic leaders are calling us to a renewed encounter. Well, and I think, too, just that story. I mean, this is a gospel passage that Audrey and I have been praying with very recently. But one of the the things you see in this is Jesus's method also. Yes. Like, this is Easter morning. Yeah. Th this is, he has the greatest news to share. And if if I were Jesus, right, I'd go in the <laughs> middle of town. I'd say, I'm back. Turn on the lights. <laughs> <I, you know, laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but what's his method? Yeah. That he, what he models to us, the method of reaching the individual. To, to going after those two on the road to Emmaus, as opposed to even going to the 12th, you well, know? And going for a walk, a slow, patient walk and a meal. Gosh, that's good, Ryan. That's really good. Because you would think this isn't like, this is post-resurrection. He could have done it any way he wanted to. And he chose to do it this way. You know, a lot of times, and I, I did have a recent encounter, but what I did want to share is that you know, a lot of times people will ask us for our story. Mm -hmm. And so we will talk about, and I have very powerful reconversions or reversion story, however you want yeah. to say that. It's very powerful. And I would t tell that all the time. And then it suddenly dawned on me, but have I really talked about how he is active in my life today? Yeah. And one of the most powerful ones that I've experienced, and it was right after we reopened the parishes. Mm -hmm. 
And I was on, it was a Monday, I'll never forget it. It was a noon mass and everybody had their masks on, everything's roped off and you're nervous trying to stay away from everybody. And I'm walking up to communion and keep, you know, I'm not even ready. And so she hands me Jesus and I'm like, okay, fine, put it in my mouth, put him in my mouth, you know, bless myself and walk away. It was effervescent. I have never before or after have had that experience. It was almost like, pay attention, it's me. Like you've been worried about everyone else, mm. but I'm here for you. And I've never forgotten that. It, and it was a reminder to me that he's active in our lives every day if we just stop and listen. You know, as you were talking about just walking, right, on the on the road mm-hmm. to Emmaus, I mean, I, I, go, I went back and I just thought like, when was the last time I walked? to another town, let alone more than a couple of miles, you know, yeah. like we don't know how long Jesus was on the road with the the two to Emmaus. How, how far is Emmaus? Uh, they say seven miles. Seven miles. Okay. That's right. And, but like seven miles, that's, that's a long time. And then they invited him to stay with them. Right. Yeah. And, and so just looking at, yeah, what, what does Jesus do? You know, we're so hyperactive in our culture yeah. in a lot of ways and, 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 the church as well. Like it's not just the culture outside of the church. It's how we do what we do, the way we, yeah. you know, so going to an event, let's say, you know, it's like we, we drive our cars, we go there, we, and, and we go home, you know, uh, but do we live life together in the way that, that Jesus has modeled for us where we can just come alongside have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for the two disciples, their hearts were burning within them, right? Yeah, I feel like you're setting me up. I have to plug my favorite book again. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And I, I have- Oh, he's awesome Oh, it's really good. And I have not, there are very few number of books. I think the Bible is in this category that I've like read more than once. And uh, yeah, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I've read multiple, multiple times. And he, he makes basically the point that you just made, Ryan, that there is- like Jesus isn't just a teacher, isn't just a savior. He, he also shows us a way to live and that it's very difficult to try and be a disciple of Jesus and not live the way he shows us how to live. One of the things that when you begin to read the gospels is that Jesus is shockingly, scandalously, never in a hurry, even when somebody's about to die. He's like, it'll be fine. Let's just wait another day. I mean, it's just like, but it's, it gives us a such a stark contrast to where where we're at. So think about like okay, now all of the this work again, your work, the diocese of Wichita, the whole really, I mean, the American Church, the the global church in many ways, because this is what Pope Francis and Pope Benedict and John Paul II have been talking about. Talk about again, what is the gift of stewardship for the individual to draw closer to the Lord as a disciple? And Ryan, I'm thinking about just a story that you told as we were talking about the the Exodus and the the plagues in Egypt. Just a story you told about what stewardship does for us and for our hearts. The Bible study that I had mentioned that I was in in college, um, I got the first exposure to just biblical typology, you know, that mm-hmm. something in the Old Testament really rhymes and finds fulfillment in the new, right? Well, as we were going through and learning the, the story of the Israelites out of Egypt, it, it really struck me of what was God's intention in bringing the people out of Egypt and how he did it, right? Because, you know, he basically just obliterates the Egyptians and kills Pharaoh's son and then they all leave, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if if the goal was to get the Israelites out of Egypt, right? Jesus could have just put the Egyptians to sleep 
and they could have been gone, right? So, so the sure. task before, you know, was not so much to get Israel out of physically out of Egypt, but to get Egypt out of Israel, that spiritual mm-hmm. enslavement that they had to these foreign gods. Like God, time and again in, in that uh, account, you know, he's saying that I am the Lord so that you may know that I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's convincing the Israelites and the Egyptians at the same time. And I would say that he was wooing them into relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so to, to be able, like, as the 10 plagues happened, you know, what you realize, begin to realize is each of the 10 plagues were an assault on an Egyptian god. So mm-hmm. when the staff struck the Nile, which the Egyptians believed to be a god, what, what an effect is Moses doing? Yeah, I said assassinating the the god of the night. Killing the Egyptian god. Turns and, to blood. Yeah. And, and the sun god Ra and the cows, uh, you know, and, and all the way up to the to the heir of the throne of Pharaoh, who was believed to be a god. And so God is saying, I am more powerful. I am the one true God. You alone I do do I serve, right? And so as as they came to trust in the one true God, uh, over all these smaller, what they believed to be gods, they were cast out of Egypt and they went into the desert, right? And began to worship the Lord in truth. And and so, but then they left because of the Passover um, and they killed the the lambs. The, mm-hmm. You know, the Egyptians, Pharaoh had said, you, you can sacrifice to, to your God inside the land. But they said, we're going to offer sacrifice of animals, which you believe to be gods. Yeah. So it'll be yeah, abominable like, to the Egyptians. Uh, the Egyptians would stone us. Right. <laughs> so literally, I yeah. killed your gods and we have to leave because they're coming after us now. Right. And they did. Um, but as they go in, you know, like th- this is a, a you know, prefiguration of the Eucharist and the, and the Passover lamb. Right. This is something they continue as the Jewish people to today in celebrating the Passover meal. But. What has to happen is the the father of the family has to to kill the Passover lamb. You know that there's my participation in sacrificing this what we believe to be God's. And I and I find a great correlation to stewardship here is because you know what do we treat as modern man? What, what do we treat as gods in our culture? Mm-hmm. Often it's our money, our mm-hmm. our time. I think in a lot of ways, you know, it just. Comfort, you know, leisure, uh, self-actualization, right? Becoming the best version of myself, which isn't bad unless you make that a God. And, and, And what is it that we're pursuing? Because a disciple of the Lord Jesus pursues relationship with him and and pursues and takes on his mission. But for us and and living as stewards, you know, it's a grateful response to recognize that what we have, even the breath in our lungs, that the time that ticks away, like this is this is all a gift from God. And it's not meant to be for me, mm-hmm. right? Like we are on mission here. And so um to 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 see this very tangible expression of these are the gods that I, I that I, I'm called to sacrifice. They're not right. for me. Let's let's sacrifice this and let's, in a very real way, put my trust in the one true Lord. Well, and sacrifice them in order to be free, to free ourselves from the slavery of these foreign gods, right. wealth and you know the pursuit of pleasure, et cetera. I mean, I, I love what you're saying. I I've reflected sometimes, you know, in my own mind. Often, I think there people shrink or miss misequate stewardship with just tithing or financial, you know, just just the financial element uh, of it. I know that's a mistake, but in some ways I feel like, well, gosh, in the culture we live in, like objectively, the richest people in the history of all humanity 
right? I mean, even if you're lower middle income in the United States, Solomon in all his splendor didn't have microwave burritos or air conditioning. <laughs> I mean, like we 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 are the wealthiest people in the history of humanity. And it makes sense that we would really attend to the gifting of our financial resources, in some ways, try to extricate ourselves from the way that it often enslaves us. Again, like right, quoting, quoting uh, John Mark Comer, he makes this great observation that when Jesus says you cannot serve both God and mammon, it's not a command. He's not saying it's a bad idea, don't do it. He's saying just an observation about humanity and just the way things are. He's like, you can't serve God and man. Um, it's not, I don't recommend it. It's just, it just can't be done. And yet we try to, to our own peril. And there's something about an act of stewardship and entrusting some of what we have back to the Lord that frees us from that. You know, I, I was just praying with that passage this morning, you know, as we were looking at talking about stewardship today. And, you know, right before he says that, though, he says that what is exalted among among men is an abomination to God. Yeah. And it, it just very interesting to see that that juxtaposition of that Israel, the story of Israel, you mm -hmm. know, that Pharaoh said, go ahead and leave. And they said, well, what we're going to do is abominable to the Egyptians, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people think if you're, if you're a Christian and you give yourself over to in generosity to others, it looks crazy to, to most people from the outside. Audrey, we were talking, you said like, it's like, well, let's just be clear, right? Discipleship is not 10% of your heart. <laughs> yeah. I think really once we recognize that everything that we have and all that we are is gift, mm -hmm. this moment is a gift. If we believe that there is a God who loves us, we are beloved sons and daughters of a loving father, mm -hmm. then how do we respond to that commandment to love God and love neighbor? Those two greatest commandments. One, That's hour, what really, one hour a week on Sunday? No, but it's like, <laughs> yes, I know you know this. But yeah. but honestly, it's it's how how that love flows through us to other in a different way. So if somebody is searching, that love is going to flow in a different way because maybe they really don't understand that God loves them. Yeah. And I think it boils down to love, you know, mm -hmm. and we're all searching. We want that affirmation that we are known, loved, and cared for. Well, we have a loving Father that without question, no matter what we have done in our lives, He still loves us. Mm -hmm. If we just turn to Him for direction, for His will for our lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really simple. Yeah. You know, it's really simple. It begins with you. It begins with you. But simple isn't always easy. It isn't always easy, but just, you know, to know and to recognize that your heart is hungry for something and you're not sure what. Yeah. Okay. So, right. And we were talking about there's there's no silver bullets. There's no easy answers. But let's, I want you to think about just like, again, parish communities that are, that would like to help, you know, I, thinking about the pastors, the youth ministers, those in RE, adult faith formation folks, parent, anybody who's like listening and they're like, oh, my heart aches for those right, who are enslaved to these false gods, or for those who just don't quite know what they're looking for. Talk about, again, how a parish community can rediscover a culture and recreate a culture of evangelization and discipleship and stewardship. I think it's, I mean, it's some of the same things that I was saying. Everyone mm -hmm. is always looking for, and we call it that silver bullet. I don't necessarily like that term. Or we turn to, you know, programs 
And it's really mm-hmm. a process. Like how are, again, we have to start with ourselves. So the pastor has to start with his self, himself. Mm-hmm. You know, this pair secretary has to start with herself. So if collectively we recognize that we all need something, how do we do this together? Mm-hmm. So st- start in a smaller way. Ryan was alluding to, you know, Jesus model, you know, mm-hmm. to start small. So you're not going to turn, you're not going to change the culture overnight, mm-hmm. but, you know, you start with yourself and then start with a few to really yeah. understand and to pray. I mean, really, it's about prayer. I know people say that, oh, yeah, I'm going to pray for you. It's about prayer. Mm-hmm. But are we really praying? Wrote prayer or are we having a conversation with our Lord? You know, I love the expression, you prove what you love by what you give your time to. And and it seems as though time is the most scarce commodity for for us as modern yeah. modern man, right? But uh, what, what do we do as parishes? You know, we need to make time for yeah. and 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 we need to be intentional with that time. And yeah. prayer prayer can't be an agenda item, right? <laughs> you know, it's like Father Yorok when he first got to um, his current church, Church of the Magdalene. He put 30 minutes and they did Lexio yeah. on the agenda. That's great. And people complained. They're like, we're never going to get to the agenda. Well, this is the agenda. Yeah. This is, yeah. I, I want to give some shout outs. There's a number of parishes <laughs> here uh, in Omaha. I, I, yeah, I think about uh, Holy, Holy Cross where they're like, we're going to really pray as a group because we believe that God has us here for a particular reason, pastoral council or, or otherwise. We're going to really pray together and we're going to listen to the Lord. We're going to open the scriptures and we're going to let him speak to us because hopefully we're letting him do that individually. But we actually believe that there's some reason that we are called together and that that purpose is going to be fulfilled a lot easier if we listen together to the Lord. So there's a tool that Father Yorok developed and it's Alexio Divina Aid, and it's on the Sunday's gospel readings, but through the lens mm. of evangelization, discipleship, and stewardship with reflection questions on wow, each of those great. contexts. Yeah, each of those terms. Can it's, we get that and put that in can. the show notes? You can, well, yeah, we can. I, it's on our website, too. It's, That's awesome. Um, it's the, on our diocesan, our diocesan website. It's catholicdioceseofwichita.org. Okay. And, and we'll, then they go to the stewardship page, and then it's under reflections, because we provide our parishes also with a weekly reflection that they can put in their bulletins that ties to both the readings for Sunday and evangelization, discipleship, and stewardship. So we make those connections for them. But that's where it is in the show notes. That's awesome. All right. So we'll, we'll grab that. We'll put that in, in the show notes just so everybody can make access to that tool. And just a, just a really simple, easy way to begin. Uh, you know, for, again, I'm thinking like communities, parishes to say, when we get together to plan to meet, we're, we're going to really invite Jesus and we're actually going to pray together. And the other thing uh, that they had done, and we we talked about this, that they're the experiment parish, right? Because yeah. he's the vicar. Yeah. <laughs> and vicar, so vicar for the, the Vicar of evangelization, oh, discipleship, oh, oh, evangelization, stewardship experiments. Vicar yes. for experiments yes. might be a good... Yes, that's yeah. a good title. We're going to tell him to change his title. Don't wait. This is don't put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, they had gotten to the point where they had done it with a lot of their leadership teams, and then they make them available on Sundays. Mm-hmm. They leave them in the gathering space for people to pick up and to pray with during the week. Nice. And then they, he, they had also devoted the homily on, I think it was Word of God Sunday, where they did Alexio. They walked through Alexio and Father, and it's seating for a thousand people, but... Mm-hmm. 
you know, and just went around and asked people questions and what they were thinking about that. It was really very impactful. I was there yeah. to see it and witness it. It was it really like amazing. A, a real intentional effort mm -hmm. to teach people to pray because mm -hmm. that's what disciples do. Yeah. That's great. So Ryan, Audrey, as we close here, I just want to give you just a, a chance here to speak to the hearts of the individuals listening. I mean, maybe some of you are listening as a group, um, you know, like kind of sharing headphone buzz, but everybody listening is an individual person, right? A, a disciple. What would you say for those who are feeling this like, ah, I want to figure out how to integrate evangelization and steward stewardship in my life. I want to be a steward. I want to be an evangelist. I feel the Lord leading me and calling me but I don't quite know where to begin. What would you say? For me, and I think kind of on the tail end of COVID here, you know, COVID mm -hmm. really spun the church in a way where we couldn't rely and do the same things that we've done, you know, yeah. and and it's not to discredit things that we've done, right? Like there's great things that, that we have done and we should continue to do, right? Uh, but at the same time, this experience has been, you know, a time of boldness and creativity on the part of of many. Um, and, I, and I think I probably would desire more of that, you know, for, yes. for, for, for us to, us to think outside of the norm and, and our pattern and habit of how we mm -hmm. do what we do. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that I like to ask parishes and church leaders, you know, especially if they're offsite, you know, with us here, but, uh, if you were to ask them, okay, if you were to go back to your parish and, and, you know, Instead of going into your office and, you know, hopping on the computer or whatever has got, you know, your work for the rest of the day, if you go back to your parish and there was nothing, there was a field, right? Mm -hmm. There's no worship space. There's, there's no office. There's no anything, no, nothing whatsoever. What do you do? If, if they sit with this question, if you, if we really wrestle with this as a church, uh, what are we called to do? Um, I, I think you'll, you'll be able to have so many of those aha moments of, this is the kind of relational ministry that we need to be engaging in all, all of the time. It, yeah. it, it goes to the kind of relational ministry that evangel evangelization uh, absolutely thrives within, that missionary disciples are fully alive. And the reality is our, our structures and the buildings and everything that we have like absolutely should make us more productive in this. Mm -hmm. But how often we get confined or think within just the four walls of the church or the normal mode of what how we do what we do. Yeah, maybe if you come back and your office isn't there, maybe you'd go for a walk with some discouraged disciples. Audrey, what about you? I mean, that was pretty good, Ryan. You know, I just really go back to, I would just say, it really begins with you. I mean, I can't stress that enough. And that's coming from a personal experience. Yeah, it's your story. It's my story, but be able to also talk, talk about your story, be able to tell someone not, these are all the rules, but why are those rules important, right? Mm -hmm. What are the commandments? Why, what do they do to help us? Mm -hmm. It's all important for a reason. You know, how are we to behave? If we say that we love God, how are we behaving? Are we behaving as if we love him? Mm. And it just, it all flows through love for me. Jim, have, have you ever seen the documentary Godspeed? No, I have not. Look it up. It's on, on Vimeo, but it's a 35, 40 minute documentary of, it's an Anglican pastor um, who basically re recovered a sense of, you know, through his time and going from uh, parish assignment to parish assignment, the need to visit parishioners door to door. Wow. Um, to, you know, title Godspeed comes from that there's a, a line in there that he says, we've got to ironically go at Godspeed and slow down enough to catch up with God. Yeah. Yeah. And, I was just like, Godspeed is like, that's not 60, is it? No. Nope. <laughs> 
that, that's not at the high speed, frantic pace we're living most times in the church and in, and in, and in the world. But yeah. but it's a great documentary and, and it's great food for thought. Great. Sounds like it goes really well with the uh, ruthless elimination of hurry, which I listen to, to my shame, at one and a half times speed. So, I mean, the other thing that I would say is, you know, why do you want people back? Why yeah. do you want them in your church? What is your what is the reason for you being? Yes. You know, to yeah, really why, wrestle why with are that we question. Here? Why are we here? Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for making the the trek up to Omaha so we can so we could hang out. Um, such a joy. And um, where can people go to if they want to find out more about stewardship as a way of life and the beautiful work that that you all are doing at the Diocese of Wichita? Can you give the uh, the website again? CatholicDioceseofWichita.org, and then the stewardship page. There are things like a parish transformation toolbox. Beautiful. And, um, you know, you'll see the stewardship reflections there. You'll see lots of really stewardship renewal and the tools that we use for stewardship renewal. So stewardship renewal isn't just that time where we recommit. It's not mm-hmm. like just a couple of weeks. It's like mm-hmm. the whole year. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to go ahead and share this out, right? If you know some somebody who would like to be a better disciple um, and could benefit from this conversation, uh, go ahead and share it out. God bless. <laughs>